welcome to episode 111 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm your host this week, and I'm joined by three other RPG Fan staff members to talk about a very special topic, starting with Hilary Andreff. Hello, everyone. Also, Alana Hags. Hey, everyone. And finally, RPG Fans Creative Director, Mike Salbato. Hello. We got both Mike S's on the podcast this week, so it's going to get real confusing when people try to throw the word Mike around. We have a very special topic for you today, and that is Memoria Final Fantasy. Now, uh, Mike, uh, you were sort of the architect of the site version of this, so uh, I'll have you speak on it a little bit. Um, we're in the middle of our long uh, month-plus Final Fantasy anniversary feature on the main website, and one of the sub-features of that big feature is Memoria, where different RPG fan staff members share personal stories about their experiences playing Final Fantasy games over the years. Is that a, a fair enough assessment? Uh, yes, sir, it is. <laughs> Alright, this is an interrogation, Mike. It's all good. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I haven't had a podcast in a while, okay? <laughs> no, it's cool. So anyway, um, we're doing sort of a mini-podcast version of that feature. Uh, can you sort of describe what the uh, what the site version of the of the feature is first before we get into our own stories? Because it's it's really gorgeous, and you and Steph have done a really good job with the layout and the artwork of the feature. So can you talk about um, what the design of that is a little bit? The the website version of Memor- of Memoria. Yeah, um, I mean, you kind of did. That that really was. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't remember who came up with the idea initially, um, but it was just like. We thought, let's have a list of every Final Fantasy game, if possible, or at least a bunch of them. Uh, luckily, we managed to get like, all 15. And um, we said, here are the games. Anyone who has like an interesting story or a memory about any of them can write something. So we just capped it at like, two or three per game, so no one got too overwhelmed. And uh, luckily, you know, outside of Final Fantasy XI, most of them were pretty... Uh, easy to get people to sign up for. Uh, thanks to Derek, who's one of our few people on site who did play 11, we even got 11 covered. So it wasn't like meant to be a any kind of review or like a critical look at it. It was just really is pretty freeform. People could write whatever they want. Um, I Final Fantasy VI won't be up by the time this comes out, but it's one of my favorites because it has a really interesting combination of like a really, really heartfelt story from someone and then the complete opposite right after that. Yeah, there's a really um, heartfelt one and then the sort of jokey one and then the the FF6 bit I wrote was sort of a slightly technical look at one of the at one of the boss fights in the game. So it, it really does run the... All, all the different stories in Memoria do sort of run the gamut of what kind of memory and story you can share about these different games. But uh, we're going to do a slightly truncated version of that feature for this podcast. I should mention the feature doesn't didn't roll out all at once. Um, uh, please correct me if my details are wrong about this. Every week on Tuesday, we're going to release the Memoria segments for two Final Fantasy games. So uh, Sometimes. Okay, sometimes. okay. So, um, yeah, we're, posting, that... mm-hmm. we're posting parts of the feature on every Tuesday and Friday. So okay. some weeks we'll have Memoria on Tuesday, some on Friday. We might have some on both days, some weeks, but you just have to come back every week and see what's new. Right, but, yeah, but it's running. It's not running out all at once. I, I know when it launched, it was only the Final Fantasy one and two stories, and it's just going to be adding incrementally every uh, every update. And the updates stop in the first or second week of January, right? 
Uh, right. Cool. So yeah, that is a month and a half or two months of Final Fantasy features over um, and the RPG Fan website. And uh, with the Memoria feature starting in late November and updating throughout that time period. And here in Retro Encounter, we are doing four Final Fantasy episodes in a row in late November and early December. And this is the third of those episodes. Which they've and they've been a lot of fun to record. We have had um, a bunch of different RPG fan people record them with us, uh, and uh, including Alana. You wrote, you did a, uh, you hosted the Final Fantasy IX episode a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, I did. It was a blast. Um, been really well received as well. I'm really grateful for everyone's comments for listening and sharing the Final Fantasy love because we went crazy on that. We just completely <laughs> were like, here we go. We love this game. Let's talk about it for nearly an hour and a half. I think it. Um, recording time was. Um, yeah, I think when you and I did yeah. when you and I did FF six last year, we were under an hour, and we just couldn't get you, <laughs> Steph, and Keegan to stop talking about FF nine. It was uh, it was really fun to listen to. Yeah, it was a really good one to record. Um, very enthusiastic people. Um, but yeah, really great. Um, obviously, from the podcast, I said that nine's my favorite, and nine is still my favorite. Two weeks later, so <laughs> no changes. But yeah, really great, and I'm really enjoying the content that we're producing on the site. Obviously. Can't say much, but it's really good. And the stuff from Moria, we've already had some really nice comments about and really looking forward to see how everybody else reacts to all of our additional work as well. So please carry on tuning in and listening to this podcast as well. Awesome. And I should mention that uh, Hillary, who I, I think you I think you did add to the Memoria feature a little bit, but your main role on the website is as one of the chief proofreaders. And you must have you must have edited and proofread it's 50,000 words over the course of this feature. <laughs> and you are a superheroine for having do, done so. Oh, thank you. It was a lot, from my perspective, it was a lot of fun. Especially Memoria, actually, because we got a great selection of memories, especially for the ones where we had a lot of people contributing. It was a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different things that people focused on. So it was a blast. And we have a lot, same thing with our longer kind of individual features as well throughout the time. So keep coming back because there's a lot of really interesting stuff to read. Very cool. So I guess let's get started with the podcast proper now, instead of just plugging each other and, you know, patting <laughs> each other on the back. We don't need to be this self-congratulatory on the podcast. <laughs> but... Well, we do need to do one more thing. Oh, okay. It's not really self-congratulatory because she's not here, but we should talk maybe a little bit about Stephanie's artwork. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, my God. It is all so Steph- good. Yeah, Steph is one of the, she's one of the social media mavens, as everyone knows, but really what her true talent lies in is her art, and we've seen more of it than you guys have seen, but it is absolutely gorgeous. Again, so much really positive feedback from everybody, and deservedly, because she's a talent, and really, really good stuff like that needs to be celebrated. She's one of the unsung heroes on the site normally, but this is one place where she gets to finally show everybody that this is what I do. This is what I love. And she's fantastic. So massive hats off to Steph. We all love her here. Yeah. When we, uh, when we started putting the feature together, we didn't really have everything figured out because originally, like, like I said, with Memoria, we wanted people to just like write whatever they wanted. And at the very, very beginning of the feature, that was kind of how we approached the entire thing. It was really like, Hey, who has something to say about final fantasy? And at the time, Stephanie started putting some artwork together and it was going to be, I, I don't know what the plan was on her end. Like maybe she was going to do a few things and 
the more the features start taking shape, I, I asked her, it's like, what are the odds that we can get like all like 15 Final Fantasy games? Because I knew she was doing some. And even at that point, we didn't know where they were going to end up on the site. But uh, luckily, Memoria took off and we knew that we were going to have all the games covered. And then if she could do artwork for all of them, then all the better. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's working out pretty well. And yeah. I'm, I'm really, really happy with everything she's done. She's quite a talent. Yeah, Steph is a very talented artist and she has a ton of artwork for on the feature and we all love her and you should all follow her on Twitter and other places. She's Dice SMS on Twitter. So maybe now we should start podcasting about what this episode is ostensibly about <laughs> and that is our own personal Final Fantasy stories um, but not exactly the we're not exactly going to parrot what's on the um, FF Memoria feature on the main page. We're just going to wing it a little bit talking about the Final Fantasy games one by one and our favorite memories or our impressions or something like that of each one. We're not we're not in some kind of rating or ranking or critical examination of these uh of these games. It's gonna be just a just personal stories and reactions to each one. So maybe a bit of a preview for next week because uh, we are doing a Final Fantasy one episode next week. But Final Fantasy One. Um, who here has played it? First of all, in in some version or another. Oh, I'm still yeah. in the first town. Okay, but I, played it. <laughs> I have <laughs> played it. Yeah, I've played it a long time ago. Um, I played the GBA remake, the Dawn of Sorrow, Dawn of Souls. Yeah, Dawn, Dawn yep, of Sorrow, Dawn of Souls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, my there, memory. There are souls in Dawn, Dawn of Sorrow, but no, we're talking about Dawn of Souls. <laughs> Isn't Dawn of Sorrow Final Fantasy Two? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've played it and beaten it uh, just a long time ago, whenever those two came out um, on the joint cartridge. Um, but as I say, I don't really have any particular attachment to the first Final Fantasy because it is kind of bare bones RPG, I guess. But uh, I suppose the one thing that sticks with me is if this is the first RPG you've ever played, which for a lot of people it probably was, um, you've got the transformation sequence when you Bahamut, go up to Bahamut. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was something that really stuck with me because you have to, for people who don't know the original Final Fantasy, you have to pick four base classes. Um, don't pick four white mages, but if you want to make it really hard, pick four white mages. Um, but you get to a certain point in the game where you get to upgrade these classes and it's kind of another level of progression, which I think probably would have blown a lot of people's minds at the time because, you know, you're going to buy levels and things like that and Dragon Quest had already come out at that, uh, about a year earlier. So seeing a different form of progression in an RPG from 1987 is really cool. Um, I just remember how awesome it was seeing my Black Wizard for the first time. And I was like, he's got a face! He's a man! It's not just a black orb <laughs> under the hat! Like, uh, I wonder yeah, if he took off his hat and then gave it to the fighter, because the fighter gains a helmet when he becomes a knight. <laughs> So I guess sometimes sometimes taking off your hat makes taking off your hat makes you stronger. Sometimes putting on a hat makes you stronger. That's very interesting. If you're a bard, it's if you're a bard, it's determined by size. The bigger the hat, the more powerful you are. Usually. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Yeah, totally style. And for a thief, I mean, the more you cover yourself up, the more powerful you are. So, like, when you're a ninja, you only you only show your eyes. That makes you super strong. If but, you have dogs as well, it makes you even yes. better. It makes you the best. Ninjas should have more dogs, I agree. Um, 
One other thing I think I want to contribute about FF1 is I didn't actually get the chance to play it very much, but just how much it sort of stuck around in the RPG kind of cultural lexicon. Like one of one of my strongest memories attached to FF1 is actually reading the comic Eat the Theater when I was a lot younger. Ah, oh, I love yes. that comic. With that, yeah, with that homicidal, basically... the homicidal black mage and the, yes. the the dumb fighter with sword chucks. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, and and a very a very clever uh, Kurt Vonnegut reference with a uh, with a mage, red mage casting Ice Nine. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. I was so I had actually just read a bunch of Kurt Vonnegut when that when that one came out, so I was super excited. <laughs> but yeah, um, that is that is one of my big memories with it, and it does kind of loosely follow the plot. So I learned decent amount of what happens from from it yeah although i will say that princess sarah has very <laughs> different character arc in uh, 8-bit theater than she does in the game properly she sure does yeah i don't yeah. We, we don't need to go into it in great detail but just uh fans out there if you want to read a very strange interpretation of princess sarah that's different from <laughs> ff1 or ff9 maybe read 8-bit theater that is one thing we. I don't. I'm not sure we're going to discuss on the on the FF1 podcast. But um, I'm with you both of them. I I did enjoy 8-bit theater when I first read it as a teenager many years ago, and um, the Bahamut transformation scene in FF1 is awesome because I'm like seeing the. I mean, tactile is the wrong world word, but seeing the visual representation of your characters getting stronger is so cool, and uh, and a little probably a bit of a mind blow if you're at the right time and place when you're first playing FF1. Um, I did play it for the first time when I was, uh, I think, seven or eight years old. I had played FF2 at a friend's house, but then I went and uh, I need I wanted to play more RPGs, so I, but I only had a NES, so I bought Final Fantasy One and rented the different Dragon Warrior games. And it was not what I expected. You know, going from FF4 to FF1 is a bit of a step down. Hmm. Um, yeah. And only one character transforms in FF1. And I mean, if you know me, you know I love transforming superheroes, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. true. It, it's true but uh, uh, I, I never finished the NES version of FF1 I did uh, get it later on GBA and PSP I skipped the um, Origins PS1 version for whatever reason but it's um, it, it holds up pretty well uh, or well enough for me to play it twice <laughs> but um, I, I don't know for me the standout moment is just the nonsense at the very end how the first boss of the game is also the last boss of the game, except he's a purple demon, and he went back in time, then forward in time, or, or he went oh. back in time, then sent the four fiends forward in time. It is so confusing. Um, well, like, I, I, I Garland I, will knock you down. Yeah, yes, he will. That that is the easy part to, to Garland. The the confusing part to Garland <laughs> to Garland is at the very end when there's when the game suddenly becomes a time travel story and maybe kicks off the trend of Final Fantasy having out of left field villains come in at the last hour or two. Who? Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on the first town of FF One? <laughs> I don't really have many thoughts. I mean, to be fair, I've left the town. And I've done some battles because I I really did want to join you guys in that Final Fantasy One show, and then it just didn't happen. But um, I don't know. That's all I did. I leveled up. I mm, tried right. going a little further, and I almost got killed. So I went back and fought goblins some more, <laughs> and that's where I am. So you know that that is a pure unadulterated FF One memory, if I ever. Yeah. 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 I mean, it looks nice. I'm playing the iPhone version. Oh. Oh okay. oh, okay. Which I guess is just the port of the PSP one. You, you know, Back when I, they, I thought they were going to port, you know, all of them to look like one and two and four, 
and I'm still sad that they have not. Yeah, Square Enix has done a bunch of iPhone ports of FF and Dragon Quest games over the past couple of years, and I haven't tried any of them. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to play 7 on a touchscreen, because I just... I've seen what the button layout looks like, and it just I think there's too many buttons for it to work re- well, but uh, for the simpler games, it works fine. So let's move a little bit forward with Final Fantasy II, that, um, which is also an NES Final Fantasy game. We uh, The rest of the world did not get a uh, translated version of it until the PSP remake. And... Oh boy! I mean, it was uh, designed by Kawazu, the guy, the architect of the Saga series, among other things, and it has those Saga touches of dealing damage increase, has your strength go up, taking damage, has your HP go up, a little bit like, a little bit like some Western RPGs like Elder Scrolls in that regard, I guess. But um, it does have a pretty serviceable story for a, an NES game of that time, I, I suppose, but I don't have very f- many fond memories of FF2. I found those I found those uh, gameplay mechanics a little frustrating, and maybe my favorite thing might be... Uh, wait, has anyone here played um, any of the remakes of FF2? Either, I guess, either the iOS, PSP, or GBA versions? No. Uh, only the GBA, and very briefly. Did you, did you play the extra dungeon after you beat the game? I didn't beat the game. This is one oh, of the okay. Final Fantasies I haven't beaten... Well, um, it does a kind of a cool thing in the remakes that I think is maybe more interesting than a lot of the rest of the game. But uh, three characters that join you during the game uh, die at various points. You ba- basically, you you have this, the three main characters, and then your fourth spot is by a rotating uh, cast of, of guest characters. And, so, and they leave your party either because they have to leave or they die or whatever, and eventually you get you know, a, a lasting fourth one that le- that goes to the end of the game. But in the remakes of FF2 from GBA onward, you can do an extra game, uh, an extra dungeon that is set in hell, where uh, you, where the characters that have died in FF2, the main game, um, team up to uh, um, right some wrong going on in hell, which I thought was a very amusing touch. That wow. is a good touch. Yeah, yeah, that is a good touch. It, I mean, it's a, uh, it, it's a lot like those other dungeons in the FF remakes where, where they just change settings at random and they're sort of poorly designed dungeons but it was a cool little reference that I it was nice to see Minwoo and Ricard again in those guys so yeah spoiler alert those two dudes die mm. <laughs> well great now I can't even play it because now I know oh, that oh, it's true I'm, I'm like, I was just about to it's okay Minwoo's in there with them so it's fine yes. Yeah, you know, if you want to enjoy Final Fantasy II's world, maybe just play Dissidia or Theater Rhythm instead. <laughs> both or Record of those are Keeper. Fun. Or Record Keeper, sure, yeah. When we were signing up for Memoria Stories on the site feature, no one picked FF2. <laughs> so uh, so Rob Fenner decided to you know, <laughs> write, a, write a meditation on it because no one else was interested in talking about it. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if anyone hasn't read it yet, that is a good write-up. Um, yes. I don't want to like out him on this podcast since he's not here, but he did ask me. I told, I read it through and told him, it's like, hey, I, I really liked your write-up on two. And he's like, are you sure? Because it it did kind of go off topic, but I, I think <laughs> I think he he told an interesting side story, and it all came together in the end. So it, it's definitely worth reading. So go check that out. Um, uh, who among us has played some version of Final Fantasy three? Uh, the the NES or the DS or PSP or PC remakes? I have. I played some. I've played some of three. It's another one. I. It's one of the, as well as two. It's one of the other ones I haven't finished. There's only one other game I haven't finished in the series. 
I, I've beaten all of them 1 through 10 plus 12, but basically nothing after 12. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, so I, I have beaten 3. I, I played it and beat it on the DS. That's how I played it. Yeah, I played the DS version. I'm not a big fan of 3 at all. I really don't like it. I don't I... know what it is about it. I... I might go back and play it because at the time I played it, I wasn't a big fan of job systems. I but love job systems, and I I, know I, you do. I I respect threes as a prototype to fives, which is yeah. which is which I adore. I love the job system in five, but yeah. um, threes is all right, but yeah. it ha has hangups about it, and it has the weird magic slot MP system that the NES FF one has, and I don't love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think what maybe put me off is the punishment system you get. So the one thing I like about job systems is ones that let you try everything out, but three on the DS punishes you for doing that, so it reduces your stats for a period of time if you swap jobs. Yeah, and you, have to, you have to fight biggest... like five battles um, just for the stat penalty to disappear whenever you change jobs, which is... It's ridiculous. It just puts off the idea of wanting to customize it's like oh yeah i'll just stick with these four but that's not the idea like five demonstrates perfectly which is the other one i haven't finished um the, it doesn't punish you for it it's like yeah you have millions of jobs to try out here you go yeah it encourages um, experimentation rather than punishing you for experimentation exactly. and uh and plus in ff Sorry, in ff3 anyway i just uh when, when i discovered that um you can dual wield without penalty in that game. You don't like have to be a ninja or something. I ended up just... I think my final party was three heavy classes. Like, I think one knight, one dark knight, and maybe one viking or something. With all of them just dual wielding swords and katanas and axes. And then, <laughs> and then one white mage to heal them. So it was a lot of just, you know, very janky political sprite, uh, poly polygonal sprites doing the animation over and over. Which I found very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but I've still played through for that. So uh, yeah, but I, I only played it. I only finished it the one time on the DS, maybe probably ten years ago, whenever it came out. I, it was pretty soon after it came out when I played it. And my lasting memory from FF3 is how how grueling that final dungeon is. <sighs> Evil. It's um, basically you have your save point, and then you have you have to go through a a, a small castle, then a big castle, then a you know, nonsense crystalline void, uh, um, what should we call it? Uh, gauntlet that with five bosses in it, and no save point from outside that first castle all the way to the end boss, and yeah. it is grueling if you aren't prepared for it. And I wasn't prepared for it, and I definitely lost several hours dying and re and uh, resetting before finally beating the game. The only, the only other thing I would bring up is the status effects. Like, at least near the beginning of the game, I got way behind because I did not anticipate the appropriate spells for status effects <laughs> to actually get into some of the dungeons. Mm -hmm. uh. I, don't, I don't remember that being that brutal. But, it, <laughs> but it's been so long since I've played FF3. It's, <laughs> it wasn't brutal, it was... It was mostly between kind of me wanting to switch classes a lot and that happening. I think that, oh. that made me a little bit impatient. Yeah, I think you can tell why I didn't come over here immediately when it was released or why it took so long to come and why they've remade it. So I guess, I mean, are we ready to close the book on three and talk about the Final Fantasy games that we all remember fondly? <laughs> yeah, probably. I think so. About the all only right. thing I can contribute to three is uh, all the Final Fantasy three content in 14. <laughs> oh, uh, there, there is, oh, of I course, like yes. 
Yeah, there is a fair amount of that. Is it, that's the uh, is that the Crystal Palace? The Crystal Tower. Tower, yeah. yes. Crystal right. Tower, and then mm-hmm. World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about FF4, a game that was my first RPG. It is the Final Fantasy game I have played the most, and that's not because it's my favorite. It's because every time it comes out of the new system, I buy it and replay it. And mathematically, that works out to me having played that damn thing seven or eight times. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's it's a classic. Uh, There's um, a lot of cool turns and characters in it uh the, the story i think the music and the setting is very memorable and one of the characters undergoes a character transformation while literally transforming which is a nice touch <laughs> and and perhaps a reference to ff1 <laughs> so i i mean i'm assuming all four of us have played ff4 maybe that's an unsafe assumption um no, well, no. i have I'll play. yep, okay I have. Cool. I played it. so um i mean mike you didn't have a lot of to say about the three NES ones, what's your any lasting memory of FF4 that you have? Oh, I have lots of lasting memories of four. Um, it it wasn't my first RPG because my first RPG was Dragon Warrior because back in the day, for some reason, they were giving it away for free with Nintendo Power. Um, I don't know why. I, I know a bunch of people that got Dragon or Dragon Quest because it was um, Nintendo Power said, "Here it is, it's free." So why not? Um, and I think I finished the game, but I don't know. It, I don't think I liked it enough that it pulled me into RPGs, but the game I liked enough to really start playing RPGs was Final Fantasy IV. Um, and I remember back in, oh, I think I was 10 when it came out, and trying to scrape together like $50, $60 or whatever it was to get that game was interesting. But yeah, I I, I love four. Actually, the whole sequence with... Um, Cecil and his whole redemption thing about being a paladin, that's what started my interest in like paladins and other games. And that's why it's the only class I play pretty much in an MMO or basically any game where you can choose a class. I choose paladin and it does stem from Final Fantasy IV. That's cool though. I like the paladin class and I think Cecil is the most memorable of that class. Um, He's not, they don't stick to his design very much though, do they? Because the paladin in 14 is kind of like the traditional paladin, whereas Cecil's got like shoulders out, a see through cape, long flowing locks. Right. And like, with, the cir- with the circlet. Yeah, with it's- the circlet, exactly. He's also a half moon man, so it's fine. It's right. Clearly, that's why. If you're a Lunarian paladin, that's how you dress. Mm hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Cecil's so, a very special sort of paladin. <laughs> Yes. But, I mean, if there's a memorable character in that game, to me, it's probably Kane. Because he he, he betrays your party, I think, probably at least two and a half times. I mean, he's pretty much... He's like the traitor for, like, two-thirds to three-quarters of the game, isn't he? Mm -hmm. And then he, like, snaps out of it. He's like, I'm not worthy. Kane is, like, the first... I don't, like... When I was... I was a bit old... I say I was a bit older. I played... Eight, mate, four, about 15 years after it came out, maybe a bit longer. Um, so I was going through my kind of, I like all these dark characters things. So Kane was greedy, <laughs> yeah. and he was exactly what I needed in my like preteen years, or like, <laughs> or like my teenage years. I was like, yes, Kane. <laughs> yes, Kane, yes. Embrace yes, the darkness. Yes. Can I get a Kane shirt at Hot Topic? Can I? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I remember, I mean, I, I was. Uh, 
I, I guess in the age 8 to 10 range when I first played Fort, and I thought that he was the coolest character by far. And um, because he's, I guess he's probably the first anti-hero sort of character in Final Fantasy. And, I mean, he's, he's stylish and cool, and he jumps on dudes and is awesome. So, of, of course, Kane is super cool. And I think that maybe the one interesting thing about the After Years sequel to FF4 that probably shouldn't exist mm. was that um, uh, part of the story of that is Kane went to Mount Ordeals to try and um, become a, a better dragoon or something. But um, he fails at first and his mirror version escapes and starts uh, causing a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. I, ha I hate the After Years. Yeah, the, after, <laughs> the After Years is terrible, but that's like the one good idea the After Years has. It's like, you remember how easy Final Fantasy IV was? No, 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 no. Like, <laughs> wasn't, well, say, I, I overestimate. Four isn't silly easy. It's pretty easy for its um, time, I would say. But uh, the After Years really, really went overboard. That was unnecessary. It's like every part of the After Years is as hard as um, the Magnet Cave and the Path to the Core in FF4. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a pain. Those are, those are the two <laughs> painful uh, parts that I remember the most clearly. Yeah. Hmm. FF4. Kane's cool. Cecil has a moon tiara. <laughs> yes. Do we have any other thoughts? A lot of people die. Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, they almost <laughs> all come back. That, Pretty much. I was going to yeah, say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like people are sort of um, die and come back or leave and come back in your, to your party, kind of like FF2, but with much more recursion. And uh, no one dies permanently except for Tella, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that's but... right. That's right, yeah. I was going to mention some of those side characters. Cause I, most of them, I, I like a lot. Like Yang and Talon and Tora. I mean, even Sid. Mm. Yang is a man's uh, man's man. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yes. Um, the only thing that, that, can, that can really sit him down is if his wife hits him with a frying pan. Right. <laughs> because she's awesome. And, she can... and how frustrating is it that Tella learns basically every spell in the game, but only has 90 MP? And fire three costs thirty. Oh, no. Fire three yeah, costs thirty yeah. MP, and medium yeah. cost, costs ninety nine MP. It's like, come on, this yep. is too tantalizing. I'm just—he's just gonna be huffing ethers nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wish that. I guess it depends on how you play. Like, if you don't level up too much, maybe it balances out. But like the way I would play, I had always—he was always way short on MP compared to everyone else. I kind of wish they had done a different system. It's like, can you just make it? So it costs like 199 and he has 190, like just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. That is almost literally what they do with Fusoya because he, he joins you later and has all the white and black magic, but he has about 190 or two or 200 MP, which is much <laughs> more palatable than the television. Yeah, yeah. Much more, yeah. Yeah, Fusoya, who I think is about 90% beard. <laughs> while while Tella is perhaps 40% beard, Fuso Fusoya just goes all beard all day. Well, you know how yeah. like bards, bards' strengths are measured by their hats, black mages' strengths, or mages' strengths are measured beard. by their beards. Uh -huh. Maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe Lydia should have grown a beard, and then she could, oh, yes. then she could have had all of her white magic back. Lydia is a summoner, though, specifically. Mm. No. So Rosa should have gone saying. beard. Rosa should have gone beard. There we go. Exactly. Yep. There you go. Um, There's some visuals I never needed in my life. <laughs> It's too bad we didn't uh, show this theory to Steph, so she could have had it all in all of her FF4 artwork. Rosa with a flowing beard. Yeah, Rosa with a flowing beard, casting Medio and Bahamut at the same time. Oh. You're welcome oh. for that imagery, listeners. <laughs> so, okay, I think we've, if we're talking about bearded Rosa, maybe we should talk about a different Final Fantasy game now. Um, FF5. 
which is a game I like a lot. It uh, brings back the FF3 concept of character classes that you switch between, but I think does so in a much more palatable manner. Uh, that, like Alana mentioned before, it's really annoying when FF3 has has uh, punishes you with stat weaknesses when you try to switch classes. FF5 lets you switch classes willy-nilly, and also uh, equip skills of unequipped classes in a in in sort of a um, skill slot, allowing you to customize all kinds of stuff. Like uh, I liked having white mages with monk barehanded skills, so they could attack yes. as strong as monks, or uh, like a giving the red mage X magic skill to any other kind of mage so they can double cast um, black and white magic. It's There's all kinds of shenanigans you can pull with Final Fantasy V's job system, and really that's the most memorable part of the game for me, is experimenting with that job system. And we're, we're monks and knights that you get in hour one are just as good in hour 30 of the game. Although... Uh, <laughs> Elementalists and tra and beast tamers. I'm not sure. <laughs> Those are as lastingly oh. useful. So, um, what are our FF5 favorite memories? Um, starting with you, Alana. Oh well, this is where I admit that this is the only other game that I haven't finished, and I'm actually Damn no it, more Alana. than an hour. I know, but I do have some really cool. I I know bits about it. I know enough. I know there's a pirate in it, so that's important. There's a female lady pirate with a really cool. Dra is that dragon? Um, it's a sea, it, it, it's a sea serpent. Yeah. Cool, Which it's is, a sea serpent that will do. Yeah, it's uh, it, or a sea serpent, sea monster kind of thing. It's um, oh shoot, I think it was in, I think it was Hyde, I think they call her Hydra okay. in the yep. uh, in the bad FF um PS1 translation, but then yep. si but then Sildra <laughs> later on. It, Sildra is the <laughs> name of the sea serpent, and, yeah, and right at the beginning right. of the game, the wind dies all around the world because the wind crystal is about to shatter. But um, oh. so, so the only way you can travel around is uh, Ferris's pirate ship, which is pulled by her sea serpent buddy. Oh, amazing. That was so cool. You but, should um, play this game, Alana. It's great. <laughs> I know, definitely. I sadly tried to task by playing 4, 5, and 6 one after the other before 13 came out, and then went 4, 8, and then 13 came out. So wow, wow. I didn't do it right. Um, but I do know that this game has some really cool classes, and one that sticks out to me I, is Geomancer from 4, 6, 5, um, or is uh... it from... Or does it come from three? I'm not sure if it's in three or not. It's definitely in five. Uh, in, in FF5, yeah. you get a couple more classes every time you uh, do a sub quest involving one of the crystals. So that, like the like the crystal will break, the uh, the crystal will break. You'll get a, a handful of new classes. I think you get elementalist or geomancer around the third set of jobs. I think. Possibly. And it's um, but they, they're weird. They attack with bells. And um, yeah. and the ter and the terrain ability does a random skill, which is kind of like Mog's dance ability from FF6, but uh, it it's okay in that it's a, a zero MP attack that can be pretty effective. No, I just remember it for its cool design. I like the bell idea. I like weird weapons, and I should have brought it up on a previous podcast. Uh, so, um, Hillary, have you played through FF5? Um, most of it. Okay. So yeah, actually, Ferris and, and Hydra. Was one of my one of my big memories. I I liked that little subplot a lot, and I always made Ferris a summoner as soon as I could. Like I leveled that up for her just because. Yeah, you don't get Sildra as a summon until pretty late in the game, but uh, yeah, it's Ferris and Sildra are awesome, and um, I, I I really like the main cast in FF Five, even though they're a, they don't have as much personality as the cast of four or six. I feel, but. Uh, Butts, Lena, Ferris, Galoof, and uh, 
and Kara or Karuru or Krila or whatever you want to call the fifth one. They're 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 a pretty fun bunch in general. <clears throat> yeah. And I, uh, I I guess if you guys haven't played FF5, there's a pretty memorable death scene around the midpoint of the game. That is yeah. that is better than the FF4 t uh, death scenes or FF2 death scenes. Yeah, Maybe I would agree. It's it's really impressive and awesome. I uh, I encourage FF5 uh, newbies to give that game a try because it's a very good version of the FF job system and I think a very entertaining 16-bit RPG. But uh, you know what was one of my memories of FF5 that uh, that actually has lasted into future FF games, but um, has still impressed me all the same is uh, is Gilgamesh. Greg, you mean Greg? Oh, Greg. 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 Sorry, Greg. Greg. So, uh, any Greg fans out there? I am a big Greg fan. I mm. wish I'd brought this up now. And um, kind of well, a cross memory here, but uh, we I heard Battle of the Brick Bridge, uh, Distant Worlds, and they played the entire every single appearance of Gilgamesh in five. Wow, <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. Because you fight him like um, six times. You do, yeah. They showed you every fight. It was rather great. I think they even showed you. Did he get sucked into the void at the end of the game? Doesn't he? Or quite sort of. It's um, the final dungeon yeah. is the void, which is this you know big twisted uh, black hole kind of spell thing, and. Um, after the fourth or fifth Gilgamesh fight, he gets dragged into the void, and then when you go into the void, you fight Gilgamesh a fifth time, and then uh, after <laughs> a little later, you fight. You're fighting a different boss, and he and Gilgamesh pops in to um, to, to save you, and he and he like at the end he has a, a good turn and saves you from this uh, late game boss in the void. But uh, I mean, it's. First of all, Gilgamesh is a total goofball and sort of a comedy character at times. Even though he, even though his boss fights aren't, they aren't exactly pushovers. But the, the real treat to fighting Gilgamesh is that you can steal Genji equipment from him in four of the six times you fight him, which is mm -hmm. maybe not the best armor in the game, but among the best armor in the game for uh, the different times you fight him. So th that's a, a fun gimmick. He's a weapon collector. You steal Genji stuff from him a lot. What does Enkidu in 5? Because my favorite rendition of Enkidu, because he's in 12 as well, and he's a dog. But, I mean, it's really a chicken, isn't it? I mean, come on. Um, it's a he's, chicken. He, he's some kind of gargoyle-looking demon thing uh, in 5. In, in, no. one, in one of the Gilgamesh fights, he summons Enkidu. And uh, for, <laughs> for, for people uh, who are fans of Mesopotamian myth, I mean, the Epic of Gilgamesh is a, uh, as a sort of rambling saga of a character who is one-third god, which is a very difficult mathematical <laughs> familial equation to work out. And, uh, his, and his best friend is named Enkidu. And so they just borrowed those names from Mesopotamian myth uh, for uh, Final Fantasy V and many future Final Fantasy games because Gilgamesh is, whoa, let's see. He, he, he's, a, he's a sort of quasi-GF in FF8. He's a, yep. he's a side quest character in FF9. Mm -hmm. um, he's a... Um, He's a, a small character in the best FF side quest of all time in FF14. Yep. Mm -hmm. He's also a hunt in FF12. Mm, okay. And he's also in the 15 DLC as well. Uh, right, the episode the, Gladio, uh, he is, which butchered uh, him. He's in FF13 too? Or I forget yeah. if, he's, if he's in 13.2 or 13.3. But I remember the... He's uh, in 13.2. is like okay. an arena fight. Okay, right. And But that version, the FF13.2 version of Battle on the Big Bridge is one of my favorites. It's really good. The Keiichi Akabe version from episode Gladio is fantastic as well. Awesome. Everyone should listen. Yeah, but, Gil Gilgamesh's yeah. music is maybe one of the most lasting things of FF5. It's a really good boss fight song. Let's move on to FF6, which is 
Uh, full disclosure, my favorite Final Fantasy of all time. I adore FF6. Uh, we did a podcast last year about it, Alana and I. And I can talk mm-hmm. about FF6 for the rest of this podcast, but I won't. Instead, I'll have you guys talk about it. Uh, Hillary, you've played FF6, right? Yep. So what is your maybe lasting memory or favorite character or like first thing you think about when you think FF6? One of the first things is actually how I got it. So um, Ooh, I got me. introduced... Story time. <laughs> so... I got introduced to four first, which actually it's one of my write-ups. Um, but by the time I got introduced to it, it was hard to find. So after I got a Super Nintendo, six was actually the first one I got. So I actually went into it with a sort of like, well, this isn't what I played. This isn't four attitude. And boy, was I surprised. <laughs> like, I, I just, I think from the minute Tara showed up, I was super excited. And it, it just got better from there. You know that's one of the classic Final Fantasy VI like internet forum arguments that I've had <laughs> that I've encountered over the years. Who's the main character? Oh, none of them. None of them. Well, none of the above. well I okay. mean, Kara and Celeste, I would say, are joint, possibly Locke as well, because yeah, Locke, the, the, um, Locke, the, not thief, treasure hunter. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think I've said this before in other podcasts, but like, you can make good arguments for Terra or Celeste. You can make a good argument for Locke, who's sort of the like a unifying character that connects Terra and Celeste and the rest of the cast. Plus, he's the second character you meet in the game, and uh, second playable one. And you can also sort of make a case for Sabin because if you recruit him mm-hmm. at the times you're supposed to recruit him, he is the character in your party the most because he has ah. because he has a chapter all to himself in the first third in the game or so that's fairly lengthy and he's the in the second half of the game when you have to recruit re-recruit all the characters one by one he's the first one that you that you find after uh, um other than celeste so right he's so, mandatory he's one of the only three mandatory ones isn't no, he's, he he's not mandatory um, is he not is edgar no. the other mandatory yeah, one yeah celeste edgar and setzer are the three mandatory okay. characters right. but you but you can you can recruit sabin very early and Doing the Funbaba and the uh, Sandworm <laughs> stuff without Sabin is not recommended. Oh, no, it's not. Because like doing oh. all of that with only Celeste is sounds like a pain. Oh, oh I want to I want to add to this theory. You can visit his house, or at least a house that he's lived in. Oh, hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're um when you meet him for the, before you meet him for the first time. Yep. You visit you visit Sabin's empty house and uh, like Edgar recognizes his smell and stuff. <laughs> Which yeah. is, that's some brotherly love right there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But, <laughs> but like, like um, Sabin's a very fun interpretation of a Final Fantasy monk. Like, I, I really like using him. And me playing, mm. you know, street a lot of Street Fighter and a lot of SNK or, uh, fighting <laughs> right. games in the 90s made his blitz skills just just easy as pie. It's like, oh, just a half circle, yeah. quarter circle, mm-hmm. just some, some button tabs. This is great. Well, sure. some of my, well, some of my friends are like, man, what do you mean incorrect blitz input? <laughs> oh, I have a great story about incorrect blitz inputs, too, actually. It, wait, can, can, I, can I guess? Is this from the very first fight with Vargas? No, actually. Oh, okay, because oh, okay. I didn't understand when to input the blitz stuff for him, so my first fight with Vargas lasted like 45 minutes. Oh, god, yeah. Because I, I couldn't pull off pummel because I was trying to do the pummel motion before hitting blitz. So oh. I, was like, I, was just, I was just messing around the menu and like having him switch rows or something. <laughs> but this, this, is, this is when I'm 10 and, and did not get what was going on at first. But uh, tell, tell us your blitz story, please. Um, so it's kind of 
close to the beginning of the second half of the game, right after you get Edgar back, you're in the Figaro engine room and you have that really awful boss that can zombify you with incredibly high frequency. So I was in there and for whatever reason, I was having a terrible, terrible blitz day. I don't, I don't know what was going on, but it was like incorrect blitz, incorrect blitz for three or four turns, which was bad. I think all of my other characters were zombies at that point, unfortunately. Um, no, everyone except Edgar and Saban were. And so I finally got it right. And I'm waiting and Saban gets zombified and hits his brother uh, with the blitz. Oh, no. <laughs> Which actually put me in a game over because Edgar was the last character that wasn't zombified. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. The classic old zombie suplex <laughs> WWF's Undertaker move. Right. Mm-hmm. It is it is amusing to see all the various things Saban can suplex in the game. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about Gilgamesh a little bit before. How about Ultros as a recurring boss? Uh, Ultros is wonderful. Another another cameo character in the great FF14 side quest that we're definitely going to talk about in 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, Ultros's standout moment is clearly the opera scene where yeah. you is, are that, is that the third climbing time over you fight the top. Him? Fourth? No, no, no. Uh, I believe it's the second or third, maybe, maybe fourth, but I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's clearly the, the best. It's the second or third, I forget which. But it's clearly the best thing because you're climbing on top of the. I love how the sprite work works in this game because Ultros is really tiny and you're climbing all of the banners above the stage where um, Celeste is dancing. And Ultros is this tiny little figure and you prod him and he falls off in the middle of the stage and you have to fight him to the last piece of music in the opera. Um, it's pretty fantastic. It's, I think he plays along with it a little bit, doesn't he? He gives out some really crazy line. Like, I don't remember specifics, but Ultros is a fabulous addition to Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> For a game that deals with such serious issues, it really has the lighthearted moments. It does. Especially with the PS1 translation, or the FNES translation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Also, luck falling down on stage. That, that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love how um, when you're fighting on stage, the background has, uh, you see the audience members and the conductor in the background, and they all yes! have the most yeah. enthusiastic expressions on their faces. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they, think, love it. they think this fight is awesome. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, this, is like, <laughs> this is a new scene. <laughs> cool. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a popular opera, I guess. I mean, wouldn't like La Traviata be improved if a giant octopus fell from the sky and uh, hmm. and and fought some of the uh, background characters? I, I I think so. Yeah, totally. I think you're onto something. Mm-hmm. I also like how Ultros is tr- trying to shove the weight down onto the stage, and he goes, "Oh, this is really heavy. It'll take me at least five minutes to move this." <laughs> and Countdown that's timer you starting at five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean the the weight itself is so it's 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 something out of Looney Tunes. Yeah, and it, it's during the, like really big dramatic like you're literally in an opera, and then we have this cartoon character in here for some reason. Who, by the way, how did he write a letter? Um, oh yeah, he writes a letter and like throws it and he's like, come on, come on, read it, read it, read it, and of course no one reads it. But I, I always wanted I always wanted to know what that letter looked like. It's like what did he write with? How did he write it? What's his penmanship like? Yeah, that is something I had never thought of before, <laughs> I, in full disclosure. Bitted mages and squid ink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Ultros is a mis- is a mysterious Aww. character indeed. But speaking of characters, uh, FF6 has 14 playable ones. That's a lot. Yes, it is. It is. A lot. And it's a l- I think it's a little really remarkable bright. how like almost all of them have pretty good um uh you know su- um s- sort of su- side stories or uh or quests or activities in the second half of the game like I mean even Gao who feels like a forgettable character in the midpoint of the game it's like oh yeah Gao's still with me I guess has one of the saddest oh. scenes in the game if you if you yeah. um, if you have him if you have him meet his dad in the second half it's like Oh man, it's like man, like Gao is like ranked maybe tenth out of the most memorable characters for most of the game, and then you see this scene with him, and um, a lot of characters have those Gao-like surprising moments in the second half of the game. So it's I- I'm always impressed that FF6 has 14 playable characters, and a solid 12 of them have really great character moments. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. well developed. Man, Final Fantasy VI, it's so good. That's a special, my favorite soundtrack as well, possibly. Every yeah, character has their own theme, and you get exactly. to, and, and you can, oh, and, and you can follow along with it. Like, why don't we see that more? Like, identifying mm-hmm. characters with sound cues and themes works almost every time. It like, does. like people it's love it in Chrono Trigger and FF6, and FF7 to a lesser degree. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, FF6 as a standalone game is amazing and worth playing. Mm-hmm. But I would also say the same about FF7, which is a lot of people's first RPG or a similar seminal RPG because it was not the first 3D polygons RPG but what like the first really important one that you know was extremely popular in its first window of release like it's a lot of people's favorite game or favorite RPG it uh it dominated all those game facts polls that I cared about way too much in the in the 2000s <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, and, and I still like it as a That's game, even though my, my enthusiasm for it has, is a little diminished from its first couple of years when it was out, when I was when I played it like three times in four years or something. But I, I still have a lot of fond memories about it. It still it does that character themes thing like FF6 did, which I, of course, love. But uh, have we all played FF7 here, or do we need to... <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, yeah. which one is 7? <laughs> it's the one with, the, it's the, one with the, the very good lion dog in it. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. okay. Mm. I think I played that one, like, twice. And a much more annoying cat than a dog, yeah. The, the, the FF7 cat's worse than the FF7 dog. Oh. Kate Sith. <laughs> Kate Sith may be one of, the, one of the least liked Final Fantasy characters in history, standing along many of the best-liked Final Fantasy characters in history. Which is a real shame because the side character who controls him, Reeve, is cool. Yeah, really yeah. Like yeah that yeah. was a really cool twist. Yeah, when you and learn actually, about Kate Sith's twist, he's much cooler, but in the end, he's still a tiny cat with a megaphone riding a Moogle. And I do really <laughs> like the fact the Moogle stuffed doll and the cat are like, no, it's fine. We'll take the black materia and be crushed so it's, you know, we'll, so the, the Temple of the Ancients gets smaller and turns into the black materia. We'll do that for you. So he does have his moments. But in a game where you have a ninja and Sid and Cloud and everybody else. It's and, Vin- like, and Vincent and a yeah. dude with a, and Mr. T with a gun arm and a martial arts Vin- lady. Vincent is at the peak of my dark mm. character phase and he's oh, yeah. still my favorite <laughs> your, your Your moody hot Vincent. topic phase is, is a lot of Vincent I'm in my hot topic fans. phase again. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, but with, Vincent's really cool and... It baffles me to this day. Like, why was he a side character? Because actually, 
in hierarchy to the plot, he's probably like the third or fourth most important character because he was around when Hojo created Sephiroth. Or yeah, and it's a little it's convoluted like, to get him. It's, it's not like it's not like yeah. he's, it's not like he's one step off the beaten path. You have to do this yeah. slightly annoying side quest and a slightly challenging boss fight to get him. Oh yeah, missing is it missing no? Missing number? The, no, no, I'm doing Missing number is Pokemon, but it, it, it's. Yeah, it, I think it's. Uh, I think. I think it's like no. It's like lost number or lost experiment yeah. or something. That's, see, it's not a complete. No, 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 no. You, you were you were close, but missing but missing no is something different. <laughs> it is um, something very different. Yes. Um. I, yeah. I, the Shinra match is a pain. Because he was. Uh, I heard this somewhere. Like I don't claim to know like all the history of Final Fantasy VII, but my understanding was that he was supposed to be a main character and. At some point during development, he was like relegated to a side character. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I mean, there was content. I don't know if anyone knows for sure. I what mean, you, you say that, but changed. once you learn, once you learn all of uh, Vincent's importance to the plot, he seems really important. It's like, oh, this guy, this is a guy who was, you know, connected to um, the Turks and to Sephiroth and Hojo in a major way. Uh, yeah. why, like, why is he optional? Doesn't make, I, I think that Yuffie is a much more of a auxiliary side character than Vincent is because you, you can play, you can play the game without encountering Yuffie and the only thing that won't make sense is Wutai you, and you right. don't even have to go to Wutai exactly and so much information that you get with Vincent like mm-hmm. it almost doesn't make sense yeah plus he, he turns into the final he turns into the final boss of FF1 which is pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> um but he gets additional dialogue at the Hojo fight scene at the end of this too as well he does. so no, if you it, take that, him... that's awesome yeah exactly so it's like why would you not take him um, but yeah, I have lots of silly memories of Seven now being slightly more specific. Um, <laughs> most of them have stemmed from more recent years because this is a game that I've replayed maybe three times, but it's because my fr- it's like my friend's first RPG or their favorite RPG, so it's kind of the one that we've bonded over. We play a game, and we try and put Sid and Barrett in our party at all times, and we play the guess the swear word game. <laughs> which is a lot of fun. <laughs> so I can't disclose any of the answers on PG-13 podcast because I would be bleeped out and all humor would be lost. But um, it's a lot of fun, especially if you take Sid. Take Sid with you when Aerith dies because there's a word there and you can fit many different phrases. Oh, jeez. It's really fun. Uh, How is, what is Sid calling Cloud today? You know, it's kind of that. But um, I think... One of the most memorable things that's popped out of this game, which is probably slightly more touching, is um, Red Thirteen's character arc at the um, sort of. Uh, oh yeah, when you, when you like visit halfway, when you visit Cosmo, Cosmo Canyon. Canyon for the first time. Yeah, so the scenes at Cosmo Canyon are some of my favorite. Anyway, the one when you're in the planetarium and Bugenhagen like shows you all the planets and how the life stream works and everything. But Red Thirteen up to that point has kind of just been a side character. Actually, if you are going to make another character a side character, then maybe Red Thirteen should be it at the wrath of many Final Fantasy VII fans because mm. the only thing he really is involved with is Bugenhagen and Hojo's trying to get him to impregnate an ancient, which is things we will yeah. not be discussing. Good like, lord. Seven <laughs> yeah. is a dark game. Um, I, I don't think Red Thirteen nor Eris was on board with that plan of Hojo's. And, did, oh, did, totally and did, did he really think that they would just get turned on by being in the same cell together? Like, <laughs> he should at least have Red Thirteen buy Eris a drink first. I mean, come on, it's just polite. <laughs> I know, right? But um, yeah, Red Thirteen kind of is just slightly offside character for me because he has this really nice touching arc. So he goes through the first part of the game, and then when he gets to Cosmo Canyon, he's called kind of. 
I hate my dad and Buchenhagen's like, no, 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 you need to know the truth. Gina Tark is one of the more painful dungeons in the game because yeah. if you're not aware that everything poisons you, it is pretty nasty. Um, there is a really easy way to do the final boss, though, and that's throw a phoenix down at it and you'll kill oh, it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the old undead trick that works in the many, old... many Final Fantasy games. Yeah, Final Fantasy IX as well, it crops up in, and it's the drop, the hit rate is almost like 80, 90% or something ridiculous. This, it's a bit lower. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, um... Quick aside, another old Final Fantasy tradition is that a lot of stone enemies will die instantly if you use a soft or a gold needle yeah. on them. And, yeah. and uh, that is my favorite way to level up in Final Fantasy V, because there's a dungeon from the thir from the end of the game that you can access in the middle part of the game through a certain uh, basement entrance, and uh, you fight nothing but statues in there. You can you throw gold needles at them to kill them, and they give you basically like end-game experience and magic point levels at the middle of the game. Wow, I'll remember so that's, that. Uh, that. That's very oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. See, this is this is why we haven't played Final Fantasy V. <laughs> now that we know this trick, you can you and I can both play it. Exactly. Yeah, it's the best way to middle, to level up in the midpoint of the game. So if you do play it, just ask me about that, and I'll tell you where it is. But uh, back to okay. FF7. Yeah. So um, Red Thirteen has a really touching character art where you go through the dungeon, and you find out that his dad, he's standing at the top of the cliff, and he's petrified. He's in stone, and you find out that he's saved the whole of Cosmo Canyon from these Natak creatures. And I think the Cosmo Canyon theme plays as well as another piece of music, which I can't specifically remember. Um, but uh, it's the one bit where like the tear falls off of, um, I can't remember, Seto, Seto's face. And Red 13 stands at the top of the cliff and he howls. And it's just one of these moments where as a little kid, what made me cry more, Red 13's dad or Aerith's death? You pick. Definitely Red 13's dad, I would say, because that was a bit of a gut punch. And... Made me feel for him a little bit. He's also really quick. I use him in battle a lot because he's nice and fast. Um, speaking of great character arcs from characters we love using in battle, I'm a Sid kind of guy. Yes, Sid I, is my he, He's my favorite character in the game. Um, when he joins you, he is this very crass, very foul-mouthed <laughs> pilot whose dream was to be the first, uh, the first astronaut in the FF7 world. But that dream was dashed because of a unfortunate situation that takes place before the game. And, uh, and and basically, as I don't know if it's punishment or apology or whatnot, but the uh, the woman that that ruined his dreams by chance years ago, Shara, uh, is sort of his live-in maid at, at the start of the game. And <laughs> watching him mistreat Shara is both tragic and hilarious. Uh, it is horrible. They do. <laughs> it's, it's, kind it's of awful. But but I mean I mean okay. When I, I definitely laughed when I was. 12 playing this game and watching Sid go, Shara, get them some goddamn tea! Yeah. Uh, and, and and then seeing it, it resolve in the last, in sort of the latter third of the game uh, is is very sweet where, where he sort of forgives Shara and accepts her and it's it's, it's great. But I, I love Sid, I love Shara, both, and in combat he he's the only character with attack power as high as clouds and has just mm -hmm. good limit breaks and good attacks. So he has great limit breaks. I, I love him as a character, both in battle and in the story. Sid's great. He's one of the best Sids. <laughs> huh. So, we have any other uh, favorite parts of Final Fantasy VII, or maybe uh, or memorable moments? Um, I will just also mention Tifa is probably my favorite character. Tifa's great. Yes, she's awesome. Uh, she's one of my favorite monk-like characters. She's great. Definitely, her limit breaks were so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of the few times I find slot minigames uh, quite acceptable. Yep. 
Slot mini games are always more acceptable than fishing. <laughs> <laughs> FF7 rarely does in, is the rare RPG without fishing. <laughs> yeah, that is true, huh? I I always I wish there was a way to find out how much time I spent on seven, because <laughs> I did two playthroughs back in the day, and both times I maxed out the clock. Oh god! So I know I spent at least a hundred hours, but I don't know how much more. I played, <laughs> and I know they're not that long. But I played it three times between, say, I don't know, ninety-seven and one. It was once in the PC and twice on the PS One. But I, 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 I hustle through RPGs sometimes. I don't, I don't think I got all of the content in either of them, and I definitely didn't level people up to ninety-nine or max out the clock. Yes. And I, I, I only fought Ruby and Emerald Weapon in the third of those three. Yeah, I've only done it once, um, just to prove to staff and listeners how much of a badass my mom is. <laughs> when she she had this when I was a little, I was three when Final Fantasy VII came out, so I wasn't old enough to understand. But my mom got maxed out Knights of the Round, maxed out the f summon trick, and did the what is it W summon for Knights of the Round, and, then, um, and she beat Ruby and Emerald Weapon without the internet. So, you wow. know. My mom is quite cool. She couldn't do it now, but she's cool. We should probably get Mama Hags on the podcast sometime. We we should get Mama Hags on the podcast. That's sometime. awesome. Maybe, maybe maybe for Mother's Day we can have Mama Hags on and talk about like uh, the the mom and Chrono Trigger and the mom and Grandia Three. But uh, I think yeah. we're about played out on seven. So I want to talk about my one of my least favorite FFs. I'll just <laughs> next. I'm I'm Aww. one of those I'm one of those jerks that loved seven and did not love FF eight, which is. <laughs> Weird. I, I don't know exactly how common that opinion is because FF8 is popular. Very. But um, in like certain you know, like jerk butt on the internet circles, FF8 was disdained by a lot of people, including me. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but I, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, but also I was. I mean, I was on a before before joining RPG fan. My major video game hangout was a FF6 website, so of course I'd be. Uh, I'd prefer. I would not prefer FF8. But yeah, in general, I, I think that AFF8 has cool things, cool character designs, but I don't like the draw system, I don't like the GF system, and I think that Squall and Renoa is an awful relationship. It's not great. I mean, I'm I'm not a defender of A. I, I, I don't like want, I don't, A. I don't want this to turn into an FF Hate podcast, though. That that's I, I was just getting my <laughs> no. opinion about it on the table. So, but but Alana, you you did say you played eight pretty soon after you played four. Yeah, right. so before 13 came out, so about 2010, um, I really liked it. It's not among my favourites, I'll say. It's probably in the bottom half. Um, but I did really... I like the world, I like the character designs, I really, really like the soundtrack. It's an underrated soundtrack, I think. Yes. And I argued with Rob Steinman about this, and he was like, no, it sucks. I was like, no, it doesn't. Um, no, the soundtrack's great. It's really good and really underloved, and I think the... I, one of the first things I ever remember, and everybody remembers and raves about, is the opening sequence in Final uh -huh. Fantasy VIII. It, is, it cool. is like cinema. It is incredible. The, uh, the, but yeah. the, the CGI cutscenes in FF8 look stunning. They still look good. Yeah. That, game, that game came out in 1999. They look really, really good. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy VIII, I'm slightly hazier on it because say, I don't think much of it sticks with me. Um, one thing it does is it takes a bit of a different leveling cue from the rest of the series in that everything levels up with you, so... You know, you can go and kill Tyrannosaurus Rexes and they'll still be a strong 20 or 30 levels later because they're scaling with you. So it really doesn't matter what order you, like, where you fight things or whenever. Um, but in terms of specific memories, like, this was the first Final Fantasy game to have an actual vocal theme that isn't 
like One Winged Angel obviously was the first vocal. Oh, but track, are, are you but telling me that the me, are you telling me that the uh, the opera scenes in the opera. Fifth Six with the er uh, 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 doesn't, doesn't <laughs> yeah. count as a vocal theme? Doesn't count. <laughs> well, nearly, almost does. But like, I mean, in terms of like for advertisement, because obviously every single Final Fantasy game afterwards has had some kind of vocal piece. So Eyes on Me kicked off this trend of having a singer like melodies of life and Sutaki Dani and anything like that. But um, I remember the space sequence really bizarrely, like the really strange CGI sequence where Renoa goes off into space because she's possessed by Ultimecia and you have to do a really bizarre boss fight and she floats out in this space suit and then Squall floats out to her. That song is, everyone really raves about Eyes on Me, but it is like the cheesiest 90s ballad ever. And it's, <laughs> like a really te- it's a really terrible snapshot of my really early childhood, like ooh, music from the 90s kind of thing. Um, but I do really like eight. I think I like the limit break system in that game, actually. Squall has a nifty limit break where you have to press buttons in time with... It's a little bit like a rhythm game, but, but things will dash past and you have to press the trigger button to do it. The limit breaks Lion are cool in 8. I, I, I don't like that, mm. that you can um, generate them at any time at critical health. Yeah. Because the idea a of, bit of you have to get your health low to use them is not something I like. Uh, I, I like it quite a bit in 7 and 9 where you build up a meter for it, and that, that that's basically what uh, what's lasted the most. But FF8 does the FF6 thing where... You can sometimes activate it if they're below a certain health bar, health amount, and I, mm-hmm. I don't love that. I also don't like the selfie slots as much as the Tifa slots. Um, no, <laughs> selfie also is a monk who has bad dress sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, at least her, at least with her mini skirt, um, she doesn't have to do kicks. She fights with Nunchaku, which is yeah, she does. So like she's not having to kick in the mini skirt, which, 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 is, which is my which is my problem with Tifa. But I mean, I think selfies pl- is uh, less likable than Tifa for many reasons. For definite. I mean, Irvine sticks out as the character who I really like in that game, just because he has a cowboy hat and a shotgun. I think <laughs> it's just another kind of he's cool. I do have a figure of Irvine actually um, with his shotgun, so you know. Nice. And also, Final Fantasy VIII has a good RPG dog. That's oh, true. Angelo! Yes, very good, Angelo. <laughs> I, I think we, we Angelo probably mentioned. A rocket. We probably mentioned him in the RPG Dogs episode, didn't we? I'm pretty sure we did. So, I I actually talked a little bit to some friends before coming to this podcast about some of their favorite memories, and I think my favorite one that I learned about from a friend was one of them working super hard to get to Ultimasia, it being a really tough fight, and then her finally, unexpectedly taking down Ultimasia with Angelo. <laughs> good boy, Angelo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's a good dog. Killing final bosses. Even though she get, he, he probably got fired off of Renoa's, like, nerf wrist launcher. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, right. I've never quite understood how that works. Yeah, her weapons are quote-unquote projectiles, but they look like those toy kites that you sort of fire <laughs> off by pulling a string. Yeah. They do. Wow, talk about a 90s toy. <laughs> yeah, or, or, I mean, like... Going back to Sentai, uh, several Sentai have wrist-mounted like gun things. So it's like, man, it's like, man, is, is Renoa like an unmasked Power Ranger or something? I don't, I don't know. That's a confusing weapon yep. to explain. And this is in a series mm. that has, you know, megaphones and hairpins as weapons from a game two years earlier. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
I guess it's not really a memory, so I'm kind of cheating here, but I I really wanted to like the main theme of eight, but I think I think ten did it better. Um yeah. mm-hmm. although I forget what ten's official theme is. I know it's, eight it's seems not, it's not to in ten. No, no, no. I'm talking about like the theme of the game because oh, eight oh. seems supposed to be love because oh. I'm like, they almost got it, but they didn't totally get that. Um, Sacrifice. Yeah, it's tens, I would say. Like sixes is hope. Um, sevens is uh, is sort of a do we deserve to live like life theme. Good politics. Is, yeah, or uh, and ten is definitely sacrifice, I would say. And the theme of uh, of five is anti environmentalism. You should destroy all trees. <laughs> I think it might be the other thing. <laughs> um, I actually I did like eight. Um, not. Yay. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites either, but it, it had some moments. Like I I never liked the magic system. Well, <laughs> I I like it the way you can junction it, but the idea of like casting magic was like completely pointless. Because I got a look, I think I got all excited the first time I got holy or one of those spells, and I cast it and does like you know eight hundred damage. Uh. That's less than my regular attacks do. So like, I don't know. Unless I was missing something when I played it, like I didn't see any point of ever casting a spell. No, it's so I just like, stopped up and jumped it, 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 everything. If you take yeah. a certain attitude with the draw cast system, um, if you junction your most powerful spells to your stats then it disincentivizes you from casting those spells because they won't deal as much damage as your other exactly. attacks. And your yeah. stats will go down as you cast spells. Which, for me, someone who uh, liked collecting things and, was, and, and wanted to max out draw casts when I was, you know, t- uh, 12 or 13 in playing this game, or actually probably more like 14 or 15 playing this game, um, it, 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 it seemed... Uh, it was a bit of a paradox to me. It's like, why would I ever cast spells when I'm stronger when I do this and my stats go down? So hence, I draw cat. I do a lot of drawing and no casting. Was kind of my attitude, and it was just a lot of regular attacks, a lot of items, and a lot of GF summons. Yeah, I feel like I should have played uh, Triple Triad more. Triple Triad is great in <laughs> FF8 I... and great in FF14, and I have played so much Triple Triad in both of those games. Yeah. I... I know I like the game. I just I feel like I never really, I can never be bothered to stop and like fight people because I'm like, well, I want to play this, but I want to go and do something else. So I played it once in a while, but didn't really play it as much as I probably should have. But it is a really fun game. I think my least favorite memory from eight, not to rag on it, and it's really probably my own fault, but was the Omega weapon fight. That's hard. And also, yeah, see, I've heard it. If you max out to level 100, he can cast level 5 death and instant kill your party. Oh, that's so, nice. So you, gotta, so you have to make sure not to max level before fighting Omega Weapon. Okay, I didn't do that. I don't know if I was underleveled. I, I've talked to someone who said that it was probably Scott, because everything's easy for Scott. I don't know. I talked to someone who said that fight was really not that hard, and I've read online that there's like some tricks to it or something. I, I don't know. Because back in 1999... Back, yeah, back in 99, I didn't have tricks so i didn't know what i was doing but, but, but step, that, step one is don't fight it at level 100 and then, no. and then there's a and then there's more tricks and strategies and skill setups that you can use that are very effective but it's it's okay. it's, not, I, it's not easy going in cold no it was so frustrating like you know that there's that there's that kind of gamer that throws controllers and I, I have never been that kind of gamer that's the only thing i think i've played where i actually threw my controller once oh, no. um and i was so happy when i beat him however i did it and 
I was excited to see what item you get. And you get a little dialogue box that says, good job. Or whatever it says. And I'm like, are you kidding I think, me? I think you can draw some rare spells and GFs from it that uh, that, that were missable at earlier points in the game. Oh, okay. But I don't, yeah, I don't, remember, but... I don't remember what the reward was. But again, I've only job. There isn't one. I only like it's, it's, one. It's a dialogue box that says, you know, congratulations, you're the best or something. And that's it. Um, <laughs> I, I can't find, I don't know if I can find it right now because this was a long time ago. But there is a little piece of fan art someone made a long time ago. And it's Squall wearing a white t-shirt that says, I beat Omega Weapon and all I got was this lousy shirt. <laughs> yeah. And th that's how I felt. <laughs> Although if I got a shirt, I would have been okay. But I didn't. you don't even get that from them. Oh, boy. Anyway, still a good game. You know, even though it had that fight in it, I had fun with the game. So that's a lot of FF8 talk. I don't know if I have it in my heart to talk about it anymore. Can we move on to a much, <laughs> much better game? <laughs> what? Right. Yes. Final Fantasy IX is great. We talked about it at length on a podcast uh, two weeks ago. I, I say we, but really it was Alana and two of our friends. Um but I, I think FF9 is great. It, it is deliberately old school in some ways and deliberately uh, not a 16-bit RPG in other ways. I, I really like how each of the character has is feels unique but also has these this shared gem system for skills. It, there are so many smart design decisions in that game, and the story and characters and visuals are beautiful. FF9 really, is really good, guys. It's great. Mm-hmm. The best. I have an unpopular opinion. Oh, hit me. Oh, oh. I didn't really love nine the first time through, but I could not. I could not explain why. <laughs> I finished bad. the game, and I really liked Chocobo Hot and Cold. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm actually playing it again. I'm liking it more now. So before anyone gets mad at me, um, I don't know. Like nine and twelve for some reason. I don't know if I was just in a weird headspace or whatever it was. Like I played through it. And I kind of had to like force myself to get through the game. And I don't know why, because I look back at nine now and every time I think about it or, you know, now that I'm playing it again, I'm like, this game is really good. So I think I was really missing something the first time through, but I'm enjoying it my second time. Finally. Well, I wish you would tell that to my best friend, the same guy that plays FF seven every year. He hasn't finished FF nine cause he can't get over he, how much he dislikes the art style. Oh, oh here yeah. we go. Yeah, but, but the art this, that, that's not me. I, I have I have beaten FF nine I think three times. I think it's awesome. I the third one of those times was a uh, Excalibur two run using a guide. And I and it, very it, but, good. But I haven't played it in at least uh, twelve years. Like in the, the, my my last playthrough of it was in the twelve to fifteen years ago range. And I I wow. it's it's one of the FF games I'm sort of most keen on replaying. But the problem is there's too many games at all times, and I never, and <laughs> I, I don't really have a great chance to do so. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I, 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 I love FF9 the, dearly. The art style is like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I guess in terms of realism, it's a regression after eight. Like I think it fits somewhere between six and seven in terms yeah. of style. So I'm surprised that that would be his main reason for that. I think it was a lot of people's reason though, wasn't it? Um, people just looked at it and went, oh, it's not real. It's not seven. I think that was what a lot of people well, eight did with nine. Well, eight and eight. Because eight took it and more realistic well. from seven. And then they went like a yeah. different direction in nine, which is, you know, at the time I was kind of like, I'm not sure about this, but I appreciate it now. Yeah. Like there was a reason and they did it on purpose. Nine also went full, pretty much full, back into fantasy, whereas seven and eight were like 
well, six as well. Six and seven was steampunk and eight was futuristic. So, of course, nine's gone back to fantasy. Why do we need fantasy RPGs in the year 2000? Why? I think I think, um, really I think nine good. is in a similar setting to six. I think it would I would call it yeah. steampunk fantasy. Cause, uh, uh, Nearly. Both, I think... Both of them have characters with guns, but... Uh, yeah. And I, I think you would call... I would, I would say that six and nine are both in, like fairly firmly in steampunk but i i i that that's nitpicking on terms but uh, I, I think but i think the uh, difference from ff7 and 8 to 9 is significant as you described and it's part of why my friend is turned off by it but i just <laughs> I mean, uh, this is something i also like about ff7 i love how the ff the characters in ff9 are different shapes and silhouettes mm. like uh, because in ff4 through 6 you know they all fit comfortably into a square or rectangle sprite <laughs> but in yeah. ff but in FF7, you have, you know, a Moogle riding, a, I'm sorry, a cat riding a Moogle and a dog and uh, characters, that, and like Barrett is a very different body type and shape than Tifa and so on. And Nine is similar. You have these characters with very cartoony, exaggerated features and limbs and different heights. And like, I mean, the difference between Kina, uh, Vivi, <laughs> Am Am Amaranth, and say, uh, the, Freya. Yeah, Freya. And maybe the most normal looking one is probably Dagger. But uh, like all these different silhouettes and shapes, I think is fascinating and interesting, and uh, it's a little bit boring when all of the characters are sort of the same kind of shape. Look the same. Yeah, hmm. which is which is one thing that I I didn't like about eight. It's like oh now I'm now I'm six teenagers. Where where are the where are the crazy dogs and the and the huge dudes <laughs> with gun arms? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but nine has the has the sort of cartoon wackiness to it but also very serious story a very serious plot in a way and really cool small character stories like you talked about uh, about Freya's character arc on the podcast 2 weeks ago and oh, and, yeah. uh, and I agree okay. with I agree with your assessment of how good it is mm, and um FF9's really good bunch of references to older games I didn't even realize until after I beat it once that you're collecting crystals throughout the game, like FF, like FF three or five. Uh, oh, because they they never call them crystals; they're always some magic stone or some specific thing. But really, you're collecting, yeah, that one mirrors. Yeah, really, yeah, you you're, you're collecting crystals like old times, but it's it's mm -hmm. old school and new school in a lot of in different ways that I found fascinating when I played it for the first time. And looking back on it, I think has a lot of cool, smart design decisions in it. I think Nine's really, really good. It's probably my third favorite in the series. So, how much? Uh, what? What? What are the lasting memories we have from FF Nine? Because Alexander. Oh yes. Uh, the best design of the best summon. Yeah, I yeah, always was... liked Alexander in Six, but in fact, was is was Six his first appearance? I think so. Yeah, he's he's not in five it was. or four. Yeah. No, it was his first appearance. Um, he's only been in six, eight, nine, eleven, thirteen. He's in twelve in some form. I think he might be a ship. Um, oh and, right, right. Yeah. yeah. He should be in fifteen because he would look incredible in fifteen. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yeah, Alexander is my favorite. Summon Esperidolon, etc. That sequence is incredible. It's so good. Yeah. That was that was really when i played that as a kid nine as my first final fantasy game um it blew my mind like the castle has wings and yeah ico is we talked about this on the final fantasy nine podcast but ico is one of the best child characters in an rpg ever she's slightly irritating but she's got that kind of edge of maturity about her 
and she takes on the responsibility of being Garnet's little sister and rushing to her save her. And when they join together to summon Alexander from Alexandria Castle, which makes total sense, I didn't twig about that until like the <laughs> second playthrough. I was like, oh, oh yeah, Alex, yeah. But um, oh, that's a beautiful fight scene. And Bahama has got a very traditional design in that game, and that fight sequence is actually amazing. I I actually think Alexander was a huge turning point for me because I tried Nine when it came out for the first time, and it it actually didn't stick. I had a kind of, I guess, an experience similar to Mike's, where I just sort of played for a while and was okay, but left it actually. Maybe because of other games, I can't quite remember, but I didn't get to that point. The next time I tried, I got to that point, and I think that's where I really got hooked. I uh, I, I played mm. nine twice in a row, like right away, and then late, a few years later did the an Excalibur two run. But for a while, it was my only PS one game because I bought a PS one <laughs> in two thousand. I was really into it from the beginning, locked in, beat the hell out of it, then went for a more a closer to one hundred percent playthrough the second time. And uh, so I have a lot of fond memories of play- getting my shiny PS1. It wasn't an original PSX. It was the it was the mini PSONE. Do you remember the the sort of that was white instead of gray? Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, right, that, slightly rounded corners. Yeah. Yeah, I got that right. Basically, right when it came out, it was my my first PlayStation. And for at least a few months, FF9 was my only game, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun going through it. <laughs> Hi, Retro Encounter listeners. This episode's recording went way longer than we planned and ended up at well over three hours. Three-hour podcasts can be fun, but it's not what we normally do here at Retro Encounter, so we decided to split this episode in half. Next week, you'll hear the panel's thoughts on Final Fantasies 10 through 15 in Part 2 of our special Memoria episode. And in the following week, we have a special Final Fantasy 1 episode to cap off our celebration of Final Fantasy's 30th anniversary. And now for some housekeeping. Thanks as always for listening. If you want to reach out to Retro Encounter, please send an email to retro at rpgfan.com, comment on the rpgfan.com boards, or like and comment at the RPG Fan Facebook page. Also feel free to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Any and all feedback is welcome. If you want to get in touch with me directly, then you can find me as Monsoon on the RPG Fan Messages boards, Michael Solosi on Facebook, or at the Real Monsoon on Twitter. We'll be back with more Final Fantasy stories and memories next week, folks. Thank you, good night, and good luck.